Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. And a quick shout out to LC38 Brand. They're offering 10% off for 1CA podcast fans. The promo code is 1CA10. LC38 Brand has a little bit of everything for the international adventurer. So check out their website at lc38brand.com. I'll have the promo code and the address in the show notes. I think it is really important to, to have us be able to connect with each other and learn from each other across the ranks throughout the CA world. So thank you for the podcast. That bit of fan mail is from today's guest, Courtney Mulhern, who is a professional therapist and team sergeant for the 492nd Civil Affairs Battalion. Courtney talks about using her skills while working with partner nations, people, and leaders to build lasting relationships. Additionally, she describes the tradecraft with tips and tricks to help others with outreach. So please welcome Courtney to the show. Well, the prison populations you worked with, were they veterans or were they just general population? Juveniles, actually. It was a juvenile detention center. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a tough crowd. Yeah. I'm sure they were very <laughs> respectful. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome that you're taking that on. Yeah. And I think that kind of crosses over to the military, too, when you're working in different countries with different hostilities or that age group, too. It's kind of the same concept no matter where you go. So, have you seen similar as well with youth in other countries? Yeah, I wouldn't say super hostile. Well, as like in the, the juvenile detention center. Yeah. Youth or the country? Which one are you talking about? <laughs> the youth the youth that I'm thinking of oh, okay. that I worked with in uh, Djibouti, they were actually pretty receptive, but you can kind of see how it's easy to kind of get into the group think mindset with youth. You know, if they go that direction, kind of like maybe in Somalia or somewhere like that, where it's easy to get caught up in different kind of criminal activities, I guess. Right. So you kind of see that it's kind of the same, no matter where you go, that those same concepts of wanting to be a part of a group and be included and have, you know, that kind of support. Sure. Is that a part of kind of ancient ritual of being a part of a pack or a group, a hunting group or a familial tribal group? Yes. Yes, definitely. Us being social creatures, you know, we we need each other. And so we gravitate towards people that we have common interests with or people that can help us maybe. Have you gotten any other exciting places in the world? I just was a part of Cobra Gold in Thailand this past February. How'd you like that? Yeah, it was a really good experience. My team was able to do a lot and we got to experience quite a lot over there. So we had a really successful mission. Were you stuck on the the exercise compound the whole time or were you at the International Hotel and were able to go to downtown? We we were down in Rayong 
and we had three different sites for our team, so we were able to get out quite a bit. We stayed real busy throughout our couple weeks, okay. just visiting the different sites and working on different projects and engaging the community, so we were busy. <laughs> so you actually, you didn't just do exercise stuff, you actually went out in the community and did engagements? Yes. Okay. Yes, we... <laughs> Are you being dodgy about this? <laughs> yeah, we went out. We had a great time. We, we did a lot. <laughs> now, are you in an FXXP as a 38 Golf, or are you an Alpha or a Bravo? You're a Bravo, right? Bravo, yep. I am in the line company, my Delta company, as a team sergeant. And do they have a specialty, or are they a more like a general scouting type team? No, just a regular civil affairs team. Okay. So were you able to take any of the things that you did in deployments and bring it back to your work as a social worker? Or have you been able to apply your skills as a social worker deployed overseas? Yeah, I think it goes back and forth quite a bit, actually. And I've moved around quite a bit on my civilian side. And mm -hmm. like I said, I've had a lot of different experiences in different cultures and populations across the U.S. and abroad. And for me, it's always interesting to see the parallels that we have that are the same, you know, across different cultures, behavior is typically the same, how it could be a little bit different, but kind of the core of human behavior is pretty similar. Sure. So, yeah, I would definitely say that I see it go both ways that my experience as a social worker can be applied in civil affairs, especially. And then what I've taken through my military training can be applied in my civilian life. Especially if you're working with people who are conspiratorial. Yes. Because it allows you to say, look, I've been overseas and they look at things as crazy as we do. So yes. <laughs> they're not goons, they're not monsters, they're not robots. They're people. Right. So. There was a social science experiment where this guy tried to see if there was universal facial expressions. So something that was pleasing, would they smile? If they, it was disturbing, they would, you know, purse their lips or frown. Or if it was disgusting, would they have the same facial expression? And I think he came across that it, it was very, very similar. Most people have a very similar expression from all kinds of different cultures. The only difference is some cultures are so restrictive with expressing who you are that you have to yes. leave the room in order them for them. And I think that's also important when you're in different countries and you may not necessarily speak the same language. Mm -hmm. So you're you're relying a lot of the engagement on expressions and body language and you know, you're listening to your interpreter kind of go back and forth and you're trying to make up what they're talking about in your own head based off what you're observing. Right. In behavior and just physically. And after a while, you kind of pick up on similarities across different cultures of just human expression, like you mentioned. Interesting. What else were we... You were going to give three examples. Yes. What were those again? Okay. Um, so, I wanted to discuss a little bit more the different social work theories that I utilize in my practice. And how civil affairs folks can use those overseas. Exactly, exactly. Or even just in regular leadership with, within your own ranks. Okay. So the first one is called empowerment theory. So this theory seeks to empower individuals to better their life 
rather than criticizing or tearing down, you're empowering, you're bringing somebody into their own power in order to achieve what they're seeking to achieve. This theory achieves goals. Sure. It supports autonomy, supports self-determination. And as an example, the countries that we work with or that we go to, they're going to know what's best for them. We do not necessarily coming in as a guest, you know, we can exchange ideas, but ultimately when we leave, these countries are left to continue on within their own cultural norms and systems they already have in place. So another example, during my time in Coburg Gold, we were at a school and we had an event where they hosted a sports day. So we played a variety of local sports and then American sports. And just was a fun day to be at the site. Right. But it also empowered the school to take ownership of the event and be the host. And I think it really brought a lot of people in town together and it emphasized confidence in the local leadership. Me being a female, I was able to get really close with the local women involved in the community and really empower them to step up and shine. You know, it's, it's their community. And so that was kind of the role I wanted to play was to empower them. And I think when you empower someone to achieve someone, it's a win. And that's also em- empowers them to, to do more. Do you think that you had better access because you were female or do you think you have better access because you're a social worker and you know how to like transmit empathy and respect to people? I would say both. During Cobra Gold, it was really the women who were the ones behind the scenes and took charge in the events. They were the ones providing the food and some culture to the events. So... I think being a female was really helpful in that scenario because I was able to work really closely with them. And I I don't mean to dwell, I apologize, but is it because the culture there is more open to women taking leads in these things? I would say it depended on the cultural norms and the roles that gender has over there. I think the food and, and kind of providing is more for the women and the men kind of stuck to the sports and they were hosting and seeing the event. That is cool that you were able to empower. I don't know if it's empowering. I mean, you're open to giving them a stage to make this happen. By empowerment, I almost see it as not trying to impose how the U.S. would conduct the event by saying, oh, we're just going to take charge and do it. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, is this also written in your Back to the Basics paper? No, this is kind of more... This is your... Th- my <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could kind of make the, the argument, because I do think relationships are going to be important, and so utilizing these theories are going to be important, in my opinion, to build those relationships. So it's, it's there. <laughs> By chance, did you hear the latest episode with Dr. Joseph Long? No. So he is arguing both in his academic career and in his papers that we need to understand that we can't just be transactional. We need to move into those relational style engagements to where both parties are bought into it. And so when you said that, it struck me you know, how similar that is. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah, maybe relationship building too. 
Because I, I think when people get their own buy-in for whatever the goal is, they're going to be more invested to succeed. Right. We have to really pick right people for that type of work because they don't embrace the chaos of relational engagements and providing buy-in and not being in control. They're going to have a hard time. <laughs> yes. If they're the type A person that likes their checklists and wants things done their way and it's got to be exactly the way they want it, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> yes, especially if there's some conflict or confusion on the underlying intent or motivation. You know, sometimes we'll revert back to our internal motivation and sometimes other things can kind of get in the way of the actual mission. Right, right. I mean, is this your theory that you're building or is this something that you're referring to? The empowerment one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's a thing. It's a thing. Okay. Um, Send me a yeah. link to that thing. and I, That'll be awesome. Okay. All right. So what was your second point? So another theory that I used in my practice, both in the military and in my civilian career, is strength-based approach. It focuses on your internal strength rather than your weaknesses or things that may not come as natural to somebody. Sure. So this theory improves resilience. It builds confidence. You already have an innate baseline. You're not trying to start over. And I think this also gives people a say in the outcome of something, too. You know, you can directly ask people, what are you good at or what works well for you in your life? If they will tell you. Yes, exactly. I'll and be- if they have any talent. <laughs> you just have to ask. It's a you simple do. concept. <laughs> you have to just find out what they're, what they're passionate about. Exactly. That can be a challenge. It can be a challenge to pull that out. And it, sometimes you got to get past that, that three cups of tea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and spend a little time with them in order to build the trust so that yes, they can tell that's, you. That's a great point. And that's going to come in the rapport building stage of CA. And you're right, there are some cultures, even in my practice here in the States, that just do not like talking about themselves, or maybe they, they really don't even think they have any strength. So it's kind of up to to me as a social worker to kind of get that out of them, or maybe ask the right questions, or maybe go off my observations of what I'm seeing to kind of just even get the ideas flowing of what they might be good at. Sure. And I think that crosses over to you know, work as CA overseas as well. Right. And have you been able to apply something like this in the field? Yeah. So for me as a team sergeant, I'm going to know my team and I'm going to know to put people in positions that are going to best fit the mission. So if I have somebody that's shy or maybe doesn't, isn't super strong socially, I'm not going to put them in front of a crowd and, and have them give a speech in a foreign country. I'm you mean over. like me, a sulky <laughs> type? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's okay because maybe somebody, maybe they're really good at something else. Maybe they have more of a technical brain or maybe they're really good at the route planning or whatever the, their strength is. I'm going to know that obviously before we go overseas and I'm going to utilize what I have on my team rather than set somebody up for failure. So it kind of goes back to the empowerment thing too. I'm going to look for their strengths in somebody. I'm going to empower them and set them up for success. All right. So here's, here's a trick question. You see something in people, they don't recognize themselves. How do you work with them 
to br- either bring that out or realize that, well, maybe it's not right and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Me as a social worker, I, uh, I ask a lot of questions. Yes. And I think that as a therapist, my goal is not to tell you what I think is wrong, give my opinion, give advice. That's not what I'm going to do. The goal here is to get somebody to realize it for themselves. So by in order to get there, I'm going to be using motivational interviewing. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. In the case of real-world example overseas, when working with excuse me, a new interpreter, she was actually very shy. It was her first time being an interpreter, actually, and didn't know what she got herself into basically and (laughs) but i none of us have ever been there before i have no idea what that's like (laughs) yeah yeah and i saw it as kind of my job to kind of going back to the empowerment thing empower her to find her voice as an interpreter because she didn't really see it in herself right away and mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time with her as a team and building that relationship with her and getting comfortable both sides with her and with us with her. So just, spend, just spending a lot of time kind of building that relationship, just getting somebody more comfortable with you sure. in order to kind of pull that out. Hmm. And then did you go to get her warmed up to the concept of interpretation? Did you take it or familiar people? So you were just hanging out and she was helping with. Yes, definitely spent a lot of time just with our team because, you know, it's gotta be awkward. She doesn't really know us. And then all of a sudden she, we're going into civil engagements with higher up military officials. And, you know, it's, it has to be an awkward for any interpreter. And really it's, it's not just interpreting word for word. It's interpreting the meaning behind something, the context, the, like we said, the expressions, the nonverbals, things like that. There's a lot going on to an interpretation like that. And that brings up another point. How do you get someone comfortable in high-level political meetings or with authority? And you walk them into something that would be a palace to them, to someone that they would never get to see in their lives, but now they're with you. Right. I think it just goes back to having a solid baseline of a relationship because if she feels comfortable with you, kind of a personal level, because we spent a lot of time with her leading up to this, I think that kind of puts things at ease a bit. So really just putting time in, the short amount of time you have in an exercise like that, but really making her feel comfortable with you enough to wherever you go, she's going to be able to to do the job. Right. But I'm sure you were walking into some places and you looked over and she's in a cold sweat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was pretty young and probably a lot of new things, new culture coming from us and having to really be the glue that binds us together because we really aren't going to accomplish much without her. So, Right. Yeah. How did the leadership treat her as an interpreter? Were they good? Yeah, I think everybody, both sides, were good and kind of understand the dance you have to do, yeah, with, with an interpreter there. And, yeah, we just got really lucky in the end. She went above and beyond for us and really became invaluable to us. Because you made her a part of the team. She was important. You guys let her know that. She 
she had a role, she had a purpose. Absolutely. And you made it to where she couldn't fail you. Absolutely. Definitely. And yeah, just spend We spent time with her mm-hmm. engaging through meals. We'd have lunch together. We'd have dinner together, you know, just being human to human. Right. Interacting with each other. Did you actually start to commission her to do things beyond an interpreter? Yes. Did you ever give her leadership positions? I think she kind of fell into it naturally on her. As we went, she just became out of her shell more and more. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a couple examples I actually had. So at one of the closing ceremonies at one of our sites, yeah. there was an interpreter who was up on the podium in front of this large crowd and actually struggling a little bit. And our interpreter just walked right up there and kind of relieved him from interpreting and, and took it over from there. And we all kind of looked at each other like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Who's this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we definitely saw her, come a long way and come out of her shell. And that was really, really cool to see on our side. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Did you ever have to, did she ever get like squashed in a meeting or, or disrespected and, and you guys had to kind of, you know, bring her back to the team, to um, the team um, house and just say, look, it happens. Just uh, did you ever have to put band-aids on anything? Or, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> no ego band-aids. Oh, okay. No, I've had I've had interpreters that had to be ego banded. Oh, days. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there were days where she was kind of hard on herself, sure. and maybe in a. But that was also important. Yeah. So you're trying to help her with balance. Yeah. The right level of criticism for performance, but not so much that it destabilized or uh, dis- dis- definitely her. because I think if a person's already in a state of insecurity and you pile that on. It's hard to recover from that. So I, I think kind of focusing on the strengths and what you did well during the meeting and you appreciated this. I think that's a good way to bring it back into focus. Hmm. And another example I had with her kind of funny. So at one of our sites, we were going to have an American style barbecue. Sure. So we went out and bought hot dogs and were starting to grill them. We put them on the grill and started to get a nice char, you know, some good flavor going. Right. And she kind of came over and was like, what are you doing? Stop, get these off the grill. And she kind of took them off and took them off inside and started explaining to us that the Thai people think that charred marks are not good for you. It's unhealthy, kind of toxic. (laughs) I've seen (laughs) you. And so like, oh, we thought, oh no, this is going to be an <laughs> international incident. You know, we're going to. You're going to be in the Army Times. I know. <laughs> CA team feeds charred hot dogs to Thai. Thai horrified. Thinking we're trying to poison them. <laughs> they were PNG'd. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, our team kind of looked at each other like, oh, oh no, we're we're in big trouble now. But so she ended up taking control of the whole cooking operation and cooked them how the Thai people mm-hmm. preferred them without grill marks on them and ended up kind of saving the whole day. And it just was a funny kind of cultural faux pas. <laughs> I don't know if it could have been. So, okay. So what's, what's the third aspect that you wanted to bring up? So solution focus. 
Sure. So obviously it's going to be focusing on the solution rather than the problems. This approach is going to be more future focused and specifically goal directed. Okay. This is a form of positive psychology, and this also is going to encourage positive emotions as a result. So this is going to look like small solutions or wins, and this compounded over time is going to be big gains for the person or the group. Hmm. This approach will build confidence to accomplish small things that will lead to bigger goals. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Cobra Gold, we had an event that we wanted to plan within the community. But this village we were specifically at, we didn't have a whole lot of access to food. So we got together with the local women in the village and asked them to come up with a solution. And turns out they went above and beyond what we asked of them. We had the problem of the food and they brought in food carts. They had Oh, man. A variety of desserts. They brought in ice cream. They had they provided drinks for people, and just really rose to the occasion. Thai hospitality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and really just kind of come up with a solution. It was a win for the community. It was a win for these villagers. And once we leave, we're out of there, and these people stay in these same communities with their same people that they're around, and but they have wins. Yeah that they've now just had. So um, this one is definitely easier. Right. I think, well, I think it's easy to accomplish some small goals. Obviously, we're going to go into countries. We're not going to be able to solve massive problems that are very complex, and it's just not possible. But smaller focused goals and kind of working together as a team with our partners or with the host nation, right. I think really goes a long way as a win for CA and a win for the military. So you're almost giving them an opportunity to succeed at something. Absolutely. Because you're giving them a problem. You're like, oh, I don't, we just, we didn't, we didn't know that it was going to be this way just to see if they can come up with a solution. Yeah. I mean, and it's not manufactured. It was a real problem. Yeah. And that's the thing about giving communities opportunities is that it gives them a success. Don't know how many people I've met that are like, oh, I love giving, but man, I hate getting a gift. I just can't take it. It's like, right, dude, other people need a turn too. <laughs> right. You know, you got to have that trust and exchange back and forth where it's about people. And it seems like giving your partners that chance to actually lead and, and do things for you and your team gives them a chance to have an, a victory, like you said, so that they have something to talk about. Definitely. You're gone. Because these people talk about it. Man, they, they talk about it. <laughs> you remember that time when we fed that CA team? They were just crazy. They thought food was... Oh, yeah. They thought they were going to have food. They were in the middle of nowhere. They had to go all the way to Cambodia yeah. for food. And then we saved them. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Because, yeah, like I said, when we leave, that's still their normal way of life. It was an exciting experience for us because it was different for us to travel across the globe. But... But these people, that's their everyday life. And, you know, you get these, these wins for them. Yeah. And I think it's just a win for everyone. That's cool. Yeah. So beyond saving you from serving charred hot dogs to the <laughs> Thai people, and creating an international incident and getting PNG'd, and handing <laughs> Thailand to the Chinese, is there any of them did in Djibouti that were like that? Um, or anything? Yes, definitely. 
So we did EDGs in Africa, in English discussion groups, which were successful. It brought people together. So we would bring a topic to debate, one that couldn't get too heated, you know, no politics. And one example that I remember was, do you think youth should leave their parents home at 18? Why or why not? And so actually, as a part of these debates, we divided the camps into two, one that was for and one that was against. And we split up the groups into different rooms and just kind of got the discussion going. And of course, even if people didn't agree with it, they still provided an argument for it. And then we kind of came together at the end with our top arguments and then it was brought to the group. So very lively discussion, you know, fun topics. The youth were very excited to practice their English and chat with Americans. So these were easy, small wins and kind of empowered the community to come together and have their voice be heard with their peers. And these were successful and simple things to do. So no fights broke out? <laughs> well, it's funny, in Zagrushan culture, you know, they're kind of louder in general. So when we thought things were getting a little heated, we would look at our interpreters and be like, is this a problem or are they just getting into it? And we, we kind of knew, unless the interpreters were kind of get a little excited about yeah. it, it was probably Your eyes fun. are getting big yeah. and they're looking around. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should serve them charred hot dogs at this yeah. point. <laughs> But so every once in a while, though, they would get a little too excited and the interpreters would give you the look like, uh, <laughs> yeah, change <laughs> the topic. Yeah. Change but overall, <laughs> overall, they were respectful and really, really engaged in the EGs. Good. All right. Well, do you have any last thoughts? Okay. And then do you need anything for a conclusion? Yeah. I want you to promise that you're going to subscribe to the show. I will. You're going to ask all your friends to subscribe to the show. Well, I'm going to tell my battalion for sure about it. You're a counselor. Guilt them if you have to. Well, that's not a approved <laughs> theory, but... <laughs> but I did want to say that I think it is really important for this podcast to to have us be able to connect with each other and learn from each other across the ranks throughout the CA world. So thank you for the podcast and thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And thank you again to LC38 Brand for offering 10% off to our listeners. We've been nominated for the People's Choice Awards, and this is a little extra treat for those who made it happen. Again, the code is 1CA10, and the site is lc38brand.com. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.